everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Chase. Today, I'm joined by a writer I've wanted to have on the show literally for years. We're finally making it happen. We're going to talk about his Eisner-nominated limited series, Superman Space Age. Uh, it's my pleasure to mel- welcome Mark Russell to the show. Mark, thanks for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been a big fan for a long time, from Flintstones to Wonder Twins, you know, more recent things like Not All Robots. Uh but Superman Space Age really is something special, and it's great to see that uh, the Eisner Committee uh, sort of recognized that. So for any of our listeners that aren't familiar with it, what's your what's your pitch for the series? How would you uh, explain it to someone? It tells the life of Superman over the 60s, 70s, and 80s against the backdrop of our actual history. It's an alternate universe. It's not our universe, but and I, I wanted to write it in such a way that it felt more like our universe than, than uh, any other universe you've ever seen in dc comics before so he intersects a lot of different historic events and characters that that exist in our world yeah one of the things that that struck me you know you mentioned intersecting with kind of real world events and really having it take place over a longer period of time and in that way it reminded me a lot of something you did over at marvel which was uh, and marvel's done a few of these projects i think zadarsky did a life story spider-man you did the fantastic four one um, so talk a little bit about that. I mean, are you a history guy? Do you like the idea of taking these fantastical, you know, icons, legendary icon, fictional icons like Superman known the world over and intersecting that with real world events and politics and kind of shaking it up and seeing what uh, comes out? Yeah, I mean, I, I love I'm a huge history buff. And I think as a writer, we tend to play towards our strengths. We tend to like want to write about the things we know about. And also, you know, I um, I, I think that, you know, when you read the Fantastic Four or superhero comics of those eras, that's definitely influencing the writing and the art, the the sort of zeitgeist of the 60s and whatnot, but they don't really talk about the historic events of those times. It's more just sort of a general abstract influence on the way, on the stories they tell. So I wanted to, and it's such a shame because there there's so much, you know, um, you know really important, historic you know uh yeah, history taking place in the the early to mid 60s that i wanted to sort of correct that oversight and go back and actually make a series that addresses the historic events that are happening as the series is happening as is occurring so that was part of why i always wanted to do this because when they were writing these comics in the 60s and 70s they weren't thinking in terms of like well this is this is history uh it's something we have the benefit of doing in, in hindsight so I wanted to use the benefit of that hindsight to rewrite those stories. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of at the time, it would almost be, it, it's hard, right? You don't have the perspective of really saying, you know, how important is this? You don't want to kind of overblow something and it turns out it's sort of forgotten. By yeah, you. you don't know what's important while it's happening. It's not until decades later, you know, what, you know, events were, were you know, landmark events in our civilization. That, and I think also, in, in addition to not having perspective, you don't really have permission. Because I think right. the, the rules of writing comics back then were very different, and they were, for the, a large part, barred from talking about current events. They weren't able to talk about things they maybe wanted to talk about. So uh, that's another thing I wanted to like bring into the the comics of that era was the the commentary that I imagine would be going on if they were allowed to have it. Yeah, and that's something else that that is sort of prevalent in your work: this idea of social commentary and really. Um, I, I say this all the time. I really think if you look at the fictional stories that a society creates, like what are the, what's the make believe that they make? Like you can tell what their values are and what's important to them by by kind of what 
fires their imagination, what, what stories and fictions they're telling. So, you know, again, I think for you to do something like this or, or previous work, um, like not all robots, like I mentioned, or, you know, even Flintstones, um, Snaggle, was it Snagglepuss? Is that, yeah, that's another one, yeah. right? Um, do you think that's important? Would you agree with that statement? Like the, the stories we tell, it's kind of our way of starting a conversation and, and showing what's important to us. Absolutely. I think that, you know, um, our stories, our lore is kind of ourselves in uh, narrative format. It's us. It's our sort of collective cultural therapy where we're trying to come to terms with who we are. And I think it's it's uh, important to recognize that not only as readers that are going through and, and reading ancient or older um, novels and, and uh, legends and plays, but also as creators moving forward. It's like, well, this is something that, that I think is relevant to our society because, or this is something that's bothering me in the world. Therefore, it's going to inform my fiction. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, let's dig in a little more specifically into Superman Space Age. I, I do have to add, what was was your work on on this Fantastic Four series? Did that come first? Did that sort of inspire? Hey, I'd like to do this with Superman. Like he's the first guy. He's the most important character at DC in terms of history and legacy. Was that kind of how it uh, came about? No, not really. Uh, weirdly, um, the Superman thing had been approved first. Oh wow! Um, uh, but it was going to be part of the five G thing, so it was sort okay. of in limbo for a while while the fate of the five G thing was being sorted out. But meanwhile, I got like a uh, uh, I got a call uh, to to ask me to if I would be interested in doing something a very conceptually similar thing for the Fantastic Four. And I've always thought you know the Fantastic Four are sort of you know my favorite Marvel characters, so I was really excited for that and again allowed me to talk about history uh so and it allowed me to tell the story of a character who ages over time as opposed to somebody who's got to be back to you know their their prime at the beginning of every issue so yeah it's just weird it's just happenstance that i i got to write two very conceptually similar stories one in the marvel universe and one of the dc universe so close together but the superman actually was the one i pitched in the story i i you know wanted to tell and got out there and and uh and was first approved and then the fantastic four thing more kind of so, fell into my lap although i i like to think that i you know they're, they're both very different and i i poured equal amounts of myself into each of them yeah i would say the fantastic four one and again this kind of speaks to the characters the fantastic four is such a family and it was really focused on their relationships and i remember when i we were reviewing it and you even you and i had some interactions online about it because it, it felt so individual and i was like oh, it's missing the family thing but you want you brought you brought those relationships back in and it really worked superman it's more a uh, space age yeah there's the, the justice league and everything but he narrates it it's more kind of individual um so yeah very very different was there anything that you learned while doing the fantastic four that that maybe changed or helped do uh writing space age make it easier yeah, well, one thing I uh, wanted to do with Fantastic Four, which I thought maybe was a little different than what you'd previously seen with Fantastic Four, was I wanted to have uh, one issue told from the perspective of each of the characters. Yeah. So I wanted to have an issue that was basically all, you know, from the narration and the perspective of uh, of uh, Johnny. And then, you know, the 60s one was Reed, the 70s one was Sue, and the 90s one was uh, <clears throat> was the thing. And so I wanted, but then uh, like the last two issues, I wanted to bring it all together and make it more about like them as an ensemble. But that really sort of informed how I ended up writing Superman, that I wanted 
to have different perspectives, sort of the story told from more than one perspective. So there's scenes where it's all from Batman's perspective. There's scenes where it's all from Lois Lane's perspective. Uh, so that really sort of something that thought me like, this is what I, I want to write a, a story. That's not just a story, that's sort of a, a biography of what was going through these characters' minds while they were doing these things. Yeah. The other thing that I, I, really enjoyed about Superman Space Age. It has it has this timeless feel, even though, you know, real rooted in real world events, you know, especially as more time's gone by and those things are further in the past, they sort of become a little more esoteric. Um, but in that way, it reminded me quite a bit of um, New Frontier by Darwin Cook, because you, you know, that story and Jimmy Palmiotti says this all the time. If he ever was the big wig at DC, not that he'd even want the job, but first thing he'd do is make all the writers read New Frontier because that captures the essence of who these characters are. I think you did a really good job with that as well. You know, the origins and motivations of the characters may not be exactly the same, you know, things with Hal Jordan and Abin Sir and, and that, but the core of the characters remains the same, remains true. Uh, was New Frontier something you thought about at all or what drew inspiration from at all? Maybe, I don't know, maybe. Oh, some- yes, absolutely. It's one of my favorite DC stories of all time. And, uh, and, and yeah, I wanted, and I, I'm, I'm gratified by the fact that people compare this to New Frontiers because to me, that's always been sort of the gold standard of uh, DC superhero fiction. And I love how it sort of takes characters on their own terms and allows them to sort of like have quiet moments by themselves and to see what they're like when they're not, you know, um, fighting planet destroying villains you know when they're just sort of like alone in their rooms and whatnot to me that's really where you get to know a character when they when they think no one else is watching uh so yeah i I drew huge inspiration from from new frontiers yeah and again uh especially in the first issue of, of space age like you said those quiet moments especially between clark and his father jonathan kent um that really speak to who the characters are but also i think it really you know, you talk about the upheaval of the 60s and trying to capture that, but also sort of the uncertainty that just kind of the everyday people felt, you know, like especially in rural America where you're so removed from the, you know, protests and what have you that happened more in the urban um, environments. So uh, my mom grew up in that era and she uh, said something to me once, which really sort of colored the way I, I think about what it would be like to grow up in the, the height of the Cold War in the fifties uh, and sixties as she did, where she said, you know, you'd, you'd go to bed crying because you were afraid the bomb of uh, the bomb was going to drop that night. And then you'd wake up in the morning excited because you'd just gotten new roller skates. And to me, that sort of sums up, you know, suburban fifties and sixties America perfectly, where it's this sort of uh, dread of instant nuclear Holocaust uh, sort of the consolation being the sort of suburban consumer society we built. Yeah. And that's another thing that the series does really well is sort of capture the, the feel and the tone. And we'll talk about Mike's our art in a little bit, uh, but the tone and the feel, you know, as we go from 60s, 70s to 80s, the 70s, the more kind of gritty urban as things were sort of changing. Um, but one other thing I wanted to, to mention about the 60s, you know, you're, you're not old enough probably to remember, probably weren't even alive uh, during no. K's assassination. Right. But, but again, something that you captured, the, the feel and the sense of hopelessness very well. So again, was it talking to your mom? Was it talking to, you know, older generation to get that feel? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, all my, most of my family, uh, especially aunts, uncles, my parents all were alive and 
remember those events very clearly. And yeah, I've had conversations with them. And also just, you know, um, being able to sort of appreciate it, uh, not only as sort of the firsthand uh, accounts of history, but also just in terms of like the, the impacts we now know that these things had on history now sort of interwoven all the events of the early 60s are from like the Cuban Missile Crisis to the uh, the space program and, you know, the the assassination of John F. Kennedy and how they all sort of like related to each other. Uh, and, you know, Johnson doing something different to get us into the Vietnam War in a way Kennedy probably wouldn't have, mm-hmm. you know, just how much uh, history is it, a game of like chance that really sort of influenced the, the way I approach this set, like in a lot of ways, like sometimes you just gotta, sometimes in history, you just luck out. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that, that kind of brings me to my next question, which is, you know, especially you being such a history buff and, and aware of these, is it tough to decide? I mean, obviously you're going to put the, the big ones in there, right? Like the, the assassination, um, Watergate's another one. Uh, but is it tough to decide? I mean, you have limited real estate on the page, right? And there's right. so many interesting events that have happened you know, in those three decades that you could play with, is it tough to decide what to do other than obviously those, those huge ones that, that are kind of must-haves? Yeah. I, the way I sort of approached it was I thought about the characters first. So it's not just like the historic events I want to talk about. It's well, what makes sense for a character like Superman or Lois Lane to be in the middle of. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Kennedy assassination is obviously kind of at the center of all their stories. Like it's sort of, what began the the heroes and the villains process of becoming heroes and villains because and i sort of dovetailed it with the cuban missile crisis tried try to treat it as sort of one big event even though historically it wasn't just because i thought this is a great moment where all these people start figuring out like how you know the world could end in any moment what do i want to do about it and for some of them it turns them into heroes and for others it turns them into villains and it's the crisis that like tells them who they are. But then I wanted to have like, like Lois Lane being a reporter, obviously she would, she would be covering Watergate. And in my version, I have her as the reporter who actually breaks Watergate. And, um, you know, so, I, but I would always think about like, well, what makes sense for these characters and the story I want to tell, what makes sense for the, how do I work the history in and behind that? How do I put them in the place of history? I think they need to be like the civil rights movement based upon the journey I want to have these characters take, not the other way. Yeah. And it works really, really well. And and the other thing that works really, really well is, is your framing technique. Like right at the beginning of the first issue, you know, we see the, the world is ending this, this universe, this galaxy, multiverse, however you want to put it. Um, and then, you know, we go back to the sixties and we start telling the story. Uh, and then you introduce this uh, classic DC character. One of my favorites that I feel like hasn't gotten used enough, which is Pariah. And then right after you started using him, then he was, in the dark crisis in a completely different role. Um, but what was behind wanting to bring him in and really have that sense of foreboding that, yeah, if Pariah is there, you know, bad stuff's going to go down. Yeah. I think he's kind of an underused character. And I love the idea of a character who was forced to watch the annihilation of a world that he sort of caused and cannot do anything to stop it. To me, it's very Shakespearean, you know, very Hamletian. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I like this, the, the fatalism that, that would that would cause. So if I were to write more of these books, more of these stories, I would have them be kind of different in every one. So I think that it would just drive him crazy. There'd be some universes in which he's witnessing the end and he's just nuts. He just can't take it anymore. And there's others where it'd be like, well, I'm 
I, you know, I, I'm going to drive myself crazy if I keep thinking about it. So I'm just going to have fun in this one. I'm just going to make myself, you know, uh, rich and enjoy life and just, you know, accept the ending when it comes. And there's others like this one where it's like he feels bad, he feels guilty because he feels like he's the one who caused this. And he finds somebody, in this case, Superman, who he feels like maybe he could tell about it. And if anybody could, he's not, he has no confidence at all that Superman will be able to save the world from this impending disaster. But if anyone could, it would be this guy. And he just feels the need. If, if I'm going to tell somebody, it probably should be this guy. Well, I don't, again, I think he's a completely underused character too. And I, I loved him from, from the moment that he was created by uh, Wolfman and Perez. But the other thing is when you compare him to Superman, there's such a juxtaposition there, right? Like in a lot of ways, Pariah is the most hopeless character in the DCU. When he shows up, like I said, bad stuff's going to happen. And Superman, he, he embodies hope. He's a symbol. Right. You know, I'll do that's, that. a, that's a great observation. And yeah, it's the sort of, and I think that's what his relationship with Superman is. is he's like, they're the counterpoint to each other. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, we mentioned the art, Mike Allred. Um, did you know, did you have him in mind when you, you know, when you pitched this? Because, uh, you know, obviously legendary creator and, and such a fantastic uh, storyteller. So how did he come on the project? Well, initially, you know, I never imagined in a million years we'd actually be able to get Mike Allred. But, you know, Brittany, my editor, said, well, just make a list of artists you'd love to have work on this. Don't think about it in terms of who you might be likely to get. Just think about who you want you know, bucket list uh, of artists you want to work with. And so uh, Mike was on this very short list and she had a list too. And Mike was on her list. So he was the first person we contacted. And this never happens in comics, but the first person we contacted said, yes. And well, yeah, usually schedules don't line up. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's usually a problem with scheduling and, you know, or they're, um, they, yeah, they're just in such high demand that you got to go to the back line, which I imagine would be the case of Mike's case. Like he's probably got like the next five years sort of planned out, but he was all over it. He was really receptive to it right from the beginning. And it helped that we did have sort of a long lead up to the actual making of the comic between when it was approved and when it was actually produced. So it gave him time to I think, work it into his schedule. Yeah, when it came to developing the visual style. I mean, it's Mike Allred, right? So, you know, kind of cut him loose and let him do what he's going to do. Yeah, uh, right. I had some sort of input on, you know, styles. Obviously, Mike's going to go back and do his research on clothing styles and, and hairstyles and everything. And, and that is part of what I was saying earlier about it, how he captures the feel and the tone of those different eras so well. Um, so how much back and forth was there um, in talking about kind of the, the look and feel that you wanted? Well, one of the reasons why, you know, we, we wanted Mike so bad on this was because, you know, he, he did the David Bowie book. He's like a huge pop culture guy, sort of like I am. So he, you know, he's really good at drawing like the monkeys, the Beatles. And I thought that he would just be hands down the perfect artist for uh, a, a series that's set in that era, like 60s and 70s. And uh, So I, I sort of like let him go, but I would put in the notes like, um, just things I thought would be good ideas with the idea that you can, that he could take these or ignore them as he sees fit. Sometimes I would include reference pictures of what I thought a multiverse might look like on like a slide. And then he would change it to make it more Mike already. But I think one of the big underrated things about having Mike already on a, uh, on a project like this, especially with Superman is that his lines are so strong and clean 
that it just sort of evokes earnestness, sincerity, right. which I think is sort of the perfect way to capture Superman. He's a guy who at any given point honestly believes what he's saying. And I think Mike's art really just sort of reinforces that. Well, yeah. And the other thing that's great about having Mike, you know, you mentioned his ability to do likenesses and, and realism. But then when you talk about drawing things like Brainiac or, you know, the ending of a universe, he's got that in his toolkit as well. Which Yeah. When he sent me the uh, the first drawing of Brainiac, it like gave me nightmares. Uh, like I, I woke up in the middle of the night with that image of just that giant, the splash page, just the giant green Brainiac head. It was utterly disturbing. And I thought that that is like another reason why we wanted to go with him because he, he creates such like stunning iconic imagery that it's, it stains your, your subconscious. When you close your eyes, you can still see Brainiac looking at you. Yeah. The other thing that's great about getting Mike, you know, you know that's going to come with Laura's colors as well. Right. And yeah. they know each other so well and they complement each other so well, but knowing that you're going to do that, you know, Mike's stories, Laura's stories, uh, typically you're going to get more of a primary color feel as opposed to something more muted or, or, you know, darker. And you certainly, you know, I think if you color this darker, it could have more of like a horror bent, you know, especially the foreboding and, you know, suspense of the end of the world. But when you color it in the, those primary colors, I always say it gives it more kind of a traditional superhero feel, which again, I think um, contributes to the timeless feel of the story as well. So that must have been great when you started seeing Laura's colored pages come in that yeah no it really comes to life when you see the colors um and i think you're right the the, the primary color scheme was sort of absolutely the correct way to approach this not only because it's a superman comic and that's sort of the coloring we associate with superman but it is a, a more sort of hopeful look it is something that suggests that this is not a horror story that this is something that is just a, a, a story it's just the, the biography of this, this this man who was sent to save the earth and was uh, in turn saved himself by the earth. Uh, and, and I think the, 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 the fact that they didn't try to make it like a genre piece with the coloring or the art, just tried to make it as much of just an, a straightforward Superman story as possible really sort of captures the theme visually. Yeah. And then the ending we won't give it away here. Everybody you really need to go and read this for yourself. But yeah, it, you end on a hopeful note as well. Yes, you know, there may be one universe that ends, but, you know, to, to I guess to quote uh, Malcolm from uh, Jurassic Park, right? Life finds a way. And, yeah. you know, Superman uh, is kind of embodies that hope and, and life finds a way. Yeah, I think that that's sort of the overriding theme of the book is that even in the ending, there is there there is life. Yeah. And then one of the things that I mentioned to you when we spoke at WonderCon, you know, so with a continuing universe, uh, you know, if you were to write more stories and we get far enough in the future, uh, then we can talk about your future state story, right? Superman versus Imperius Lex, which again, I, I mentioned to you, I was like, it feels like that story, even though it came for, you know, it was released first publishing wise, it feels like that is this Superman and this Lois, if you extrapolate it out uh, enough. And you, you kind of say, yeah, it kind of, kind of does live in the same universe in my mind can you talk a little bit about that yeah so this the imperious lex takes place in the future um and superman and lois are both sort of uh probably i guess in their 60s maybe early 70s uh and it takes place in the future where lex luther has become the planet the dictator of the planet lexor he's given up his ambitions on earth because he's been bested by superman at every turn and he moves instead to lexor but then lexor uh 
uh, gets into like really bad trouble and Superman has goes and offers his help, which of course Lex finds it hard to accept, but I really wanted to be sort of like a, uh, a drama, sort of a, uh, a parable for the problems with nationalism, with trying to like divide ourselves against each other and think of ourselves as our own little fiefdoms, as opposed to like parts of a bigger whole with Superman obviously representing, you know, why we need each other and why we, you know, we're stronger when we look out for each other and Lex uh, representing the opposite about like, like somebody just wanting to be the dictator of his own tiny little world. Yeah. My favorite part about that story is the interactions with this older Superman and this older Lois. Right. And I don't know if it was, per, uh, you know, uh, purposeful by you, but I do find it, and you, and you hear people t- tell it. Like one of my favorite uh, kind of examples of it is uh, these two old people. You know, they're eighties, nineties, been married forever, and one of them turns to the other, sitting on their front porch, and goes, "Is it you that don't like carrots, or me?" Like <laughs> so, like entwined. Yeah. And that's the thing I love. This is a Superman and Lois. They're older. They're so comfortable with each other. The little banter back and forth, and they they seem to have characteristics of of each other. And and I know that you know even in current iterations. You know, there's heroism to both of them, but I, I love that. Was it purposeful, or was, is it that just how you see these two characters? Yeah, it, it is purposeful. I definitely wanted to capture the uh, the feel of a relationship that's been a, that, that's still going strong, but has been around for a long time. And I think that's that's it. It's like you begin to sort of merge right. a little bit. Uh, the the dividing line between you becomes a little less clear. And also, yeah, you develop your own language. You develop your own sort of shorthand for for talking to each other. So I'm glad you. You picked up on that. Yeah, I, I loved it. And I, and I, you know, again, everybody, we're not going to spoil it. Go, go check it out. Go read it. It's worth your time. But the way things get flipped, you know, first they're in trouble. Then there's something that's discovered on Luxor that they think, Hey, it's going to be the answer. And then, you know, it ends up backfiring on Lex and yeah, just karmic justice and, and a great, great story. You really captured um, kind of the quintessential essence of, of the difference between Superman and Lex and why they're kind of, opposed opposing forces thanks uh so with that being said i mentioned at the beginning that superman space age has been nominated for an eisner best limited series you're up against some stiff competition i won't put you on the spot and and make you uh you know say which you think is is uh your toughest competition but just talk to us a little bit about the reaction when you found out uh it was nominated and how gratifying that must have felt it was amazing you know i uh I uh, I think just because when you're creating something, when you're uh, you're alone, and it's just you and the laptop, and you're you're asking yourself, is anybody going to care? Is anybody going to read this? Am I just wasting my time? It's not like other art forms, you know. Like if you're acting in a play, if you're singing on a stage, you get the response right away. People let you know how you're doing while you're there on the stage. Writing is very solitary. You don't find out how you're doing until months, maybe years later. So whenever you get like something like an Eisner nomination, which is not only the respect of you know the readers, which is ultimately what you're after, but also your your peers, uh, that is always enormously flattering and, and gratifying. And um, and I think also it, it just lets you know as a creator you're not alone. That you are not just like sending messages in a bottle out into the ocean where they, you know, drown, that somebody is on the other end. Somebody's getting these messages in a bottle, which is especially meaningful to me because I feel like I, I put so much of 
myself into those bottles. I feel like I put so much of my private thoughts and hopes for the human race in these bottles. And I don't feel like I'm just telling stories or trying to spin yarns. I feel like I'm trying to, uh, to make a connection with the people I'm, I'm, that, I'm, that are reading my work. So for them to respond is always just really moving for me. Yeah, and again, it goes back to something uh, we said earlier about starting to engender conversations, right? And I think things like, you know, we mentioned, you know, award-winning, not all robots, another one that it sparks a conversation. And and sometimes they're not the easiest conversations to have, honestly. You know, a lot of your work that speaks to kind of the ills of society, these aren't easy problems. If they're easy to solve, we'd probably have solved them already. But there's st- that doesn't mean we can stick our heads in the sand like you know luther in the space age wants to stick his head in the sand and build a bunker um that's not the way to solve the problem right uh yeah there's um a uh uh like a, a line from the uh the book of ecclesiastes uh which i'm paraphrasing but it, it's basically to the effect that just because it's meaningless doesn't mean there's not still work to be done right you know that 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 the just because you know, you might not be able to change anything with your words doesn't mean you shouldn't speak because, you you know, you might just be a drop in the bucket, but eventually there will be a bucket <laughs> and, you know, enough buckets, there becomes a stream and, and, and so on and so forth. And in the end, that's all you really have is the tiny moment where you influence the conversation, human conversation one way or another. Yeah. And, and a lot, I, I mean, I, again, I love your writing because there are so many times where you, you'll deliver a line that's just perfect that pulls, almost pulls me out of the story to stop and think, yes, you know, uh, there's a perfect one I can quote from, uh, from Imperious Lex where Superman says, uh, no one deserves mercy. That's why it's mercy. <laughs> you know, that's not something that I'm consciously aware of all the time. It's good to be reminded of those type of things. Right. I think, yeah, it's it's like a, this is kind of what Superman sort of embodies, sort of pay it forward mentality that like you don't, you know, if, if you only save people who deserve to be saved, they probably wouldn't need to be saved to begin with. You know, you 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 invest in humanity. You don't you don't sit in judgment of it over it, giving it what it deserves. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, everybody, go and check out Superman Space Age. Uh, go and check out Imperial Selects. In fact, check out everything <laughs> Mark's written there. It's all spectacular. It's all worth your time. That's the way I prefer you approach it. Just Exactly. So uh, best of luck with the Eisners. Like I said, I know you're up against you. stiff competition. Uh, oh, yeah. Upcoming projects. I know you have Rumpus Room coming from AWA. We'll probably have you on at some, back on at some point to talk about that. Uh, anything else you can tease? Uh, anything else that's been announced? Yeah, one thing I'm really excited about that just hit the the um, announcement boards recently is uh, the graphic novel I did with Ahoy about the the serial uh, monsters. It's sort of like if Count Chocula and Booberry and Frankenberry existed in a sort of Game of Thrones like universe. Wow, sort of like, <laughs> uh, but it's called Serial, uh, and it's coming out in October, and that was just announced. So, put that on your your. Um, your pull, your pull list, put that on your, uh, you know, contact your comic book stores and let them know you want a copy. Yeah. As we always say, best way you can help out uh, creators and your comic shop is pre-order. Let them know that you're going to be paying for it. Uh, You want it. You don't want to miss it. And you probably don't want to miss that. It sounds like a lot of fun. You probably had a lot of fun working on that project. uh, Can you say who the artist is? Yeah. Peter Snayberg. Gotcha. And it looks fantastic. Uh, And it's about 10 chapters long, but it tells the story of these, uh, 
of these serial monsters having to come together to defeat uh, General Post. I wanted to use General Mills, but for reasons, right. legal reasons, I couldn't. He was trying to basically conquer the world, and, and, and uh, he has this sort of um, breakfast-driven manifesto of the way life should be. And he's, <laughs> yeah, so the monsters are trying to stop him. Fantastic. Uh, well, if anybody wants to follow your work and be reminded when this stuff's coming out, uh, where's the best place social media wise and, uh, and things to follow you? Uh, for now, for the moment, it's probably still Twitter. Um, I'm trying to segue away from Twitter, but right now uh, you can follow me at Manrus, M-A-N-R-U-S-S on Twitter. That's also my handle for uh, Instagram and uh, Blue Sky Social. Great. And I'll put links to the uh, social media in the show notes, everybody, so you can go and check it out. Uh, again, Mark, thanks for your time. It's been great talking to you. And, uh, look forward to having you on again. Yeah, thanks, Jace. And to all you listeners, we appreciate the support. As always, don't forget, go check out Superman Space Age. Very much worth your time, uh, as are uh, just about any book Mark has written. So uh, we appreciate your support, as always. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.